It's your boy, the Mark Rob, aka Sean Matt Love, aka Gordon Darks, aka the Deep State Operative, coming at you with the biggest dozens worth of deleted scenes. Give you more movie takes, more music recommendations, and more Ryan Murphy career analysis than one podcast should handle. But we out here. Before we start the deleted scenes, I did want to take some time out to give some special acknowledgments to some special people. Typically, you know, we have these influences in our lives and maybe just from a piece of art or a individual or one body of work, or maybe it's people that you follow careers forever and they continue to give you some kind of motivation or some kind of inspiration to keep creating and keep doing what you're doing. I did want to have this as a platform before we do the lead scenes to put that out for us. I had this idea of giving these acknowledgments before the untimely passing of Chadwick Boseman. And the reason I wanted to do that is because I do think it's appropriate to tell people what they mean to you in the moment. And when Chadwick's death rattled pop culture, I felt it was even more important to put this in this episode. Won't tuck your head off, but (laughs) I'll, I'll let Kat take it from here. So this week, I wanted to take a minute to talk about two of the people who made me love movies, and specifically movie criticism. And I would feel really remiss if I didn't talk about, first and foremost, Ty Burr. Uh, Ty Burr is a film reviewer for the Boston Globe, and my dad and I used to read the reviews that he would write together. And I remember that he was, first of all, just bitingly funny, and he still is. He still writes a lot and is excellent, so I recommend checking him out. But he also helped me to understand that you can like a movie outside of it was good, it was bad, I had fun, I didn't have fun. I, to this day, remember his cat in the hat headline. And I don't know if he wrote it, but I don't think it matters. It made me sad and really mad, but the cat in the hat was really bad. And reading his review in light of that really helped me to understand that just because something is done well doesn't mean it is good. And my dad and I still will send each other articles that he wrote and laugh and enjoy them together. And I really don't think that I would like movies as much as I do if I hadn't been able to look at them critically. And also to connect with my dad with them in such a such a unique way. I've also since met him, uh, and he's a sweetheart. He follows me on Twitter, and I got way more excited than I probably should have when I found out that he did. So I don't think he listens, but if he does, uh, I just want to give you a shout out. I hope you're doing well. And I loved your piece about wet-ass pussy. The other person that I want to give a quick shout out to for my film criticism journey is actually Chris Stuckman. He has a YouTube channel called Chris Stuckman, and he does film reviews. I've really enjoyed his stuff since I saw it for the first time. I think I saw one of his first videos. I honestly don't remember exactly how long ago it was, 
I think it may have been when he was picked up on Channel Awesome back when that was a cool thing to enjoy. And I really remember being super taken with not only his big reactions, but also all of the thought that came behind everything he said. He really helped me learn how to speak the language of the cinema outside of actual critical thought. So while Ty Burr helped me to learn a lot more about kind of what I would describe as the English major look at film, Chris Stuckman helped me to look at that and take a little peek behind the technical curtain. Helped me to understand more about camera movement, lighting, the importance of atmosphere and score, and also helped to validate some of the beliefs that I had, including about the cheapness of jump scares, even if you love horror. And I really don't think that I would be the the co-host, the journalist, the think-piecer that I am today if I hadn't grown up with both of their wonderful work. So I just wanted to give them a, a thank you, I guess. I don't even know if that begins to cover it, but I'm really, really grateful that I discovered them when I did because I feel like that has helped me to grow into the, the cat you have today. For me, someone who was highly influential in this endeavor as far as, you know, being a critic is editor and writer for New York Times, Wesley Morris. I've been following his career since his Grantland days. That's how I was first introduced to him. And when he would pop up on a post on Grantland, I would always be, you know, highly engaged and um, always intrigued by how the way he thought and how he expressed those thoughts and put them out in the world. And I stumbled upon a podcast that he had through Grantland uh, with his partner, Alex Papademus. And it was called Do You Like Prince Movies, which is probably the greatest podcast title of all time. It was a really, really good podcast. When Grantland, unfortunately, uh, shut its e-doors, Alex transitioned to MTV, but Wesley became editor at the New York Times. His work now there is still stellar, spectacular. I consider him probably my favorite living writer. So a lot of what I write and also kind of what I want to do as far as like thinking critically about, you know, just human interactions and what they mean and sort of deeper tones, like I kind of get that inspiration from him. If you had a time, I would definitely check him out. And also you can check out his podcast called Still Processing with Jenna Wortham. They're both beautiful souls and beautiful human beings. So definitely shout out to Wesley Morris. Another person that I shouted out in the Chadwick Boseman tribute, Combat Jack. Just one more time really quickly, but for Jack, he is someone that I never would have got, or I don't even know how long it would have taken me to really get fully embedded into podcasting. He was someone in the music industry that had a real close connection to rap and to hip-hop culture, and then he kind of funneled that into the Combat Jack show. (laughs) He was a... First person to do these like lengthy interviews with people. He had the famous uh, interview with Chuck D, which I believe was like three hours in total. And I think that's how, if you listen to Hyphenation, if you listen to some of those earlier episodes that me and Kellen did when we hosted together, we would have like two and a half to three hour episodes every single time. And it's funny how this podcast is typically only about an hour long, hour to hour 15 each week. And to to see that 
from three hours to this, what it is now, it is pretty remarkable. But I think for Combat Jack, the reason he influenced me so much is he wasn't afraid to be black and he wasn't afraid to be a podcaster. And a lot of people may not necessarily kind of understand that, but back then at least, it wasn't necessarily a space where black podcasting was a thing really. Now, you know, there's a lot more black podcasters out in the world I mean, hell, Michelle Obama has her own podcast. I don't know who's listening to that. I'm not, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But, you know, he was he was a forefather. Like, he was a grandfather. A lot of great tales that people may have forgotten or people needed to hear combat. He was really the platform for these people to get these ideas out. And I always loved Jack. He, like... Chadwick Boseman, unfortunately, uh, passed away from colon cancer. But, you know, like Boseman, he was someone I, I greatly admired. So uh, rest in peace and love to combat chat. And lastly, you know, someone who I always shout out <laughs> when I get a chance to go on this podcast, but uh, Roger Ebert. He had an autobiography and a documentary about his life and his career and then kind of transitioning to when he was coming to, unfortunately, the end of his life. But he was someone, even even before, you know, reading that book and watching a documentary, he was someone who I greatly admired as a kid. I always thought it was someone cool enough to be that smart to get paid to look at movies and to talk about movies, even before podcasting or having an, a written opinion was a thing of mine. You know, seeing Roger Ebert, two thumbs up, way up, and all that shit. <laughs> yeah, obviously, there's some parts of that that are a bit commercialized, but for the most part, he always portrayed himself to be very intelligent, very smart about how he talked about movies and people and how art and life kind of interflow and connect with each other. So, rest in peace to that brother, also. In these first two deleted scenes, me and Kat discussed a little bit more about Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. I think it's still an excellent movie. The reason that we left this scene out of the podcast is because we went into some pretty big spoilers. So if you have not watched that movie, skip ahead about the next six and a half minutes because we will be spoiling the fuck out of it. And also, if you have not watched the movie, watch the movie. It's really great. Another deleted scene I want to put right behind this is a little bit after Father's Day. Me and Kat kind of talked a little bit about kind of like the ongoing tension and anxiety that people can kind of feel. Uh, during these troubled times. The country is obviously, guys know, has changed quite a bit since June 21st, but the world keeps on turning, baby. Check it out. Damn. This this movie was fucking wild, yo. This movie yeah. was wild. Bro, oh my god. That landmine scene. I think, shit. Because I'm thinking about, I'm looking at Spike's movies, and even in just that, the tension that he built up, like, I don't think he's ever had a moment like that, honestly. I think maybe in Black Klansman, it's, have you ever seen Black Klansman? Uh, I've seen, like, chunks of it, but I haven't watched the whole thing all the way through. The end of Black Klansman, there's some thriller-esque type things uh, where it's like, uh, are you going to get to the bomb in time type thing? Mm-hmm. And so he kind of, he, Spike kind of does have it in that, but this, that scene, like, I want to cut this out because I'm going to spoil this part, but even when he, um, the splicing of the track athlete, 
and you know what he's you know what he's trying to um you know what he's trying to relay but then it's like are they really going to do this fucking thing right now and then they do the fucking thing right then Mm -hmm. and then it exploded (laughs) i was shocked that it actually exploded Um, yeah but i mean at, at that point he had built up so much tension and oomph if it hadn't happened Think about how gypped you would have felt. Yeah. Like, that would it would have been awful. Yeah. Because then that also would have made that last, you know, 15-minute scene kind of a waste of time. Maybe. Maybe. You know, because I'm all for shaking up the, the bottle rocket for a while, but if it never goes off... But do you need, do you always need that payoff, though? Not because always. What? Okay. But so, it would have been kind of weird if they had gone to all that length to set up a rule. You know, it it's it took a while for everything to happen, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. It would have been a little weird if it had just ended. Yeah. It had just been like, JK, like, what? No. <laughs> I thought that I thought the white guy and and see maybe this is why he probably shouldn't well not probably shouldn't but the white the one of the white guys and lamb the skinny one with the mustache mm-hmm. like he was a racist Steppo. yeah he was a racist and black Klansman so I was waiting for him to do some wild racist shit in this movie <laughs> I was like okay Spike I see what you're doing with this white young man <laughs> I was waiting for that shit to hit. This white young man is now just perma racist. Basically, he's a racist throughout all generations. <laughs> Yo, oh man, I'm I'm actually happy he turned out not to be racist. That would have been wild though if it was just like surprise. Basically, something's never changed, bitch. Off the top of some some wild racist ass nickname, no one's even thought about yet. Where did you come up with that? Like, bro, that's not a racist name for another three years. How did you get it this early? It's operating on a different wavelength, man. He is, man. He fucking is, man. So, yeah, because we spoiled, well, kind of spoiled, like, the best part of the movie. Actually, what do you think was the best part of this movie? I'm, I may cut this out because we can get pretty specific. Yeah. I think Delrin, like... Uh, Paul at the end in the camera, and then that basically metastasizing to the apology scene. Like that run was just fucking spectacular. Yeah, no, the it, it's okay. I like it was an accident. I forgive you. Yeah. Um, I don't. I'm not a big crier at movies. Like I'm. I'm genuinely not. It. It just is nothing that happens very often. And when I saw him, like see what he did yeah and i was just like oh no like yeah because i I figured did uh because i i kind of i figured i did figure that he killed him it was i figured it out when there was a scene where they were fighting and then paul was like uh, he didn't make it, and then they just left. 
Then that I, that's when I knew like he killed him. I assumed something had happened, you know, but I didn't necessarily think it was gonna be so like. I was expecting it to be malicious. If yeah, that's were, what I was. If they were too. gonna go that route, you know, if we had spent all this time with this, I was expecting it to be like. I was kind of fifty fifty because it was like he spent so much time loving Paul. I'm I'm sorry, I spent so much time uh loving what was Norman. Yeah, Storm and Norman. Storm that and to Norman. kill to kill maliciously over money, that would have been really fucked up. Um so I was kind of fifty fifty, but I, I knew that he killed him. I didn't know what the reasons were. And I think the reason would have been pretty important. I mean it was pretty important honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah man. Yeah, I, I guess I was just expecting, like, an excuse to be made in some way. Oh, yeah. And and I appreciated that it wasn't. Yeah. I'm at the scene where they're drinking at the bar, and Melvin... Fucking he's, Melvin. He's drinking with the two Vietnamese women, and, <laughs> man, they are some women's boy. Woo. <laughs> Them girls fine as hell, boy. <laughs> they are, man. I'm friends with Griffin Newman from Blank Check. Not friends, but like friendly. The kid? And... The Blank Check? No, the podcast Blank Check. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite film podcasts, right? And the way that they work is that they do a movie a week from a director and they try to cover as much of their body of work as they can. And so we're kind of doing a similar thing with our three movie cut. And they've also covered stop making sense. Cause they did a Jonathan Demi mini series. And I was actually super nervous. Cause I was like, Oh my God, what if he listens to the pod? And what if he like thinks we're ripping him off? And what if he thinks we suck? And like, like, I get it. Like, I'm not a professional critic. Like, I'm very insecure, frankly, about my space to have opinions in film criticism at all. Like, oh my god. Like, what if he thinks we're bad? I tell him suck a dick. Except he's not like that at all. Yeah. And he straight up was like, nah, like, I appreciate that you guys pivoted format and figured out something that works for you guys during the pandemic. And, like, I also appreciate that, you know, some of the movies that you guys have covered, like, I know you've listened to our episodes about, but you still have your own takes on. And I was like, right. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, people don't suck. Like, not everyone is David Byrne or J.K. Rowling hiding in the shadows to serve you with a cease and desist. Like. Yeah. And I hate that I need that reminder. (laughs) <laughs> but, like, I'm so conditioned for people to, like, not... I'm I'm so ready for people to not like me, I guess. Aww. And not just, like, me, but, like, the idea of me. Like, I'm a woman in a film space. I'm like, yeah, I know. But, like, that's an issue for a lot of people. <laughs> and, that's, and that's one hill... That's one battle you'll never win, so... There's no purpose point in fighting it. Well, especially okay. because... Like, the big winner of a bunch of indie film contests last year was a fucking turf. Like, a female auteur <laughs> who was a turf. J.K. Rowling? 
No. <laughs> Simmons? Who's, who's the bad one? I forget who's the bad one. Is it no, Simmons? No, J.K. Or Rowling is bad, but she didn't okay. win an independent film festival. Okay. Uh, the film is called uh, Dollhouse, The Eradication of Female Subjectivity from American Pop Culture. And it is a movie made with puppets by this woman who is just a total transphobe. And the movie went from, like, a creative and interesting parody of women in media who are, like, abused for their sexuality to a attack on trans people. Jesus. Like, it went zero to 60 on that real quick, and the last hour of the movie is just shitting on trans people. Jesus Christ. So it, like, abandons its entire premise. That's not good. To be hateful. In these next two deleted scenes, uh, we get into some music recommendations. And then also we talk about how Cat is the curve god. And we discuss Scott Pilgrim a little bit about the comic and also the movie as well. Uh, shout out to Eric Greenlee. We love you. And we were thinking about you when we recorded the second deleted scene. Check it out. So uh, I guess the, the takeaway is watch more joyful media, whether that's Batman 66 or stop making sense, but maybe don't watch them in movie theaters right now. <laughs> Is that the discount for the episode? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either, man. Fuck. Uh, I mean, this should just end when I just feel like anyway. <laughs> but also, like, watch and listen to music that might not be what you think you like. Have you done that recently? I try to. What's the last thing that you didn't expect to like, but you actually liked? Hang on, let me check my Spotify. Do-do-do. I've been listening to a lot of vintage MIA recently. Wow, for some reason, I just got back into listening to Paper Planes. Okay, so I started listening to her album, Kala. Yeah, that's what Paper Planes are, yeah. Right, uh, but the song Boys is, like, in my top five for the last two weeks. Did you see the video? It was, was it a video for Boys? Where she's, like, like, there's, like, guys, like, driving benzes, like, on two wheels and stuff. That sounds like the video for this. Like, it was fucking gnarly. Um, yeah, and there's some real bad green screen, right? Oh, no, we're talking about different videos then. Yeah, so boys is just her shitting on men. Which, <laughs> like, theoretically is totally my jam. But, oh, like... It's... Oh, Bad Girls. That's what I'm thinking about. Oh, okay. Bad Girls is that video. I'm about to play it right now. Bad Girls is fucking gnarly. Boys kind of slaps, though. She's so goddamn fine. I forgot how fine she was. I think that may be the dismount right there. Are you still looking for it? No, I found the video. I'm just kind of transfixed by the video right now. Hilarious. It is... Some amazing, what, 2008 green screen? Yeah. June 2009. And it's bad. And there's a lot of dancing. 
And she's like in overalls and she's clearly drunk out of her mind. She's like 40 now. She's like not emotionally present in this video at all. Uh, And it's amazing. Uh, I've also been revisiting a lot of Tyler, the creator stuff. Which Tyler music? Uh, So I've specifically been looking at the album that came out this year. The remix album. But also kind of revisiting most of Igor. Girl, you pronounced things so funny. (laughs) Igor. (laughs) Why you pronounce it Igor? (laughs) Entirely because of Young Frankenstein. Bro. I I blame Mel Brooks for making me this way. Bro. The way you pronounce Chirac that one time with Eric Hill. (laughs) Take me out back and shoot me like old Yeller. What remix album are you talking about? I don't know what remix album you're talking about. Uh, It's like the top thing on his Spotify. I guess he remixed Automatic Driver, which is a LaRue song. It had like a couple of different remixes that Tyler, the creator, has done for other artists listed. Now it's just one. Uh, I see the the one song... um... Yeah, oh, so last time so, I went on his page directly, it was a playlist. So I don't know. I'm trying to find it. You know what? If you give Tyler a shot, you should give the album Flower Boy a shot. Flower Boy is really good. I think okay. it's I think it's his best album. I'll definitely check it out. Um. Yeah, because I realized like. I like a lot more music than I think I do. So I should probably, you know, test that theory. Who? Because I'm listening to like, I'm not listening to, well, the actually the last album I listened to, I'm, I gave you shit about mispronouncing names. Uh, is it Haim? H-A-I-M? Haim. Or with Haim, something like that. Well, I guess it's Haim. Because they put out an album like two weeks ago um, called uh, Women in Music 3. Yes. Um, that album is fire. I love that album. Uh, they have one of my favorite songs ever, which is not actually from that album, but it is uh, called The Wire. And I think it's from like 2015 or 2016. It's from one of their first albums. Yeah, Some Days Are Gone is is their first album. Yeah. And it is so good. I love it so much. Do you listen to their albums at all? Yeah. Okay. I do. Did you listen to the last album they just put out? I haven't listened to it all the way through yet. I've listened to the first five. Okay. I, I really struggle, and I hate to say this, but like I really struggle to listen to albums uninterrupted in my house. You don't have, like, dookie headphones that you can put on? Um, I continuously get interrupted by the people I live with. Uh, oh, girl, I gotta start locking that door, girlfriend. We don't have locks in this house. <laughs> Jesus, it sounds like... <laughs> yo, <laughs> that sounds mad hood, yo. Like, I, when I live with my mom, like, I didn't have a lock on my door either. Uh, well, that in case you're wondering why I'm always up until like three in the morning working on things. So you can I get disturbed while they exactly. sleep? Exactly. Yep. Hilarious. I also love that the, I believe Haim is 
triplets? No, no, they're not. Well, they're they're all sisters. They're right, not, but I, there's at least one set of twins. No, no, they're all different ages. Like the actually, just funny. Their height is actually their order of age. So the tallest one, who's the bassist, she's like she's like a couple months older than me. Then there's Danielle, who's like the lead singer. She's like um, I think she's like thirty one. And then the youngest, um, she's like she's like in her mid twenties. But they're all sisters though. They're all sisters. Man. Where was that man going? No, I'm just like sad I'll never be talented. What are you talking about? You have talent. I don't have record deal with my two non-existent sisters' talent, though. Tell your, tell your parents to get the humping or get the mixing. Mixing them <laughs> test tubes. Yeah, my 68-year-old parents. Oh, man. This is 2020. We don't put limits on anything. I think we may have missed the boat for my mom. You never know. You just never know. I'm a, I'm adopting Eric, so. Oh can, wow! Yeah, so. Congratulations. Well, well, my dad's gonna adopt Eric, so. Oh, so he can have a dad. Yes. We're making that happen. And stop complaining about it. Basically. I feel like this is some some existential test to make sure that he can still be funny without it. <laughs> I'm sure he can. Oh, I, do, I believe in him, but like, you know. Also, yo, this guy who's like, I won't say we were talking. I was saying he was talking at me. Hilarious. Like, I appreciate him very much as a person, but like, in my mind, he has always been like my friend. And in his mind, he's like, maybe there's a chance. And like, there is not a chance. Yeah. Um. Just, like, randomly dropped. He had a son. Woo! <laughs> and I was like... How do you randomly drop you have seeds? I was like, neat. <laughs> Way to go. How's Mama Jones? Like... Yeah, that's funny. It's so weird when... It's so weird when people don't claim their kids like that. Like... This kid like lives with him, but like I just worse. I've never seen this kid on social media until fucking Father's Day, and I was like, "Well, I know he said his sister had a kid, like so maybe that's that kid. I don't know." And now I'm like, "Sir, <laughs> who are your real seeds and who are not your seeds?" Whomst? <laughs> Art thou crotch goblins? Crotch goblins, Jesus. Have you? Uh, everyone's been vaccinated, right? Like asking for me, your friend. Jeez. And I'm like, oh god, wait until he finds out my like kink is not being someone's mom. <laughs> Damn. So you win. So dudes that had seeds, you wouldn't give him a shot. I mean, not if they lied to me about it. I mean, he didn't lie. He just didn't say anything. For two years? <laughs> yeah, he can keep a secret. <laughs> I'm good on that. Oh, man. He can really keep a secret, boy. And that's not really a thing I need from my boyfriends. Secrets are sons. Yes. 
But uh, honestly, uh, secrets are a little less desirable for me. I like to know what I'm getting into. Uh, hilarious. And uh, with how many who's. So, cat don't want no secret babies running around here. I don't want no scrubs either. Like, I'm... <laughs> Holy shit. Just tell me about your kids. I'm gonna mm-hmm. judge you more if they're sprung on me. Hilarious. <laughs> you going on a... I thought we were going on a double date. Oh, you meant with your two other kids. Oh. You meant with your son. <laughs> Long, uncomfortable pause. Bro. Neat. Also, oh my god, this guy asked me out like seven or eight months ago, and I said no. Yeah. And then he like sent me a message like maybe six days ago, and he's like, I moved to your town. And I was like, cool, Ooh. have fun. Enjoy the city. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, two days after that, he's like, can I take you out for a birthday date? Ooh. And I literally sent him verbatim the same letdown that I had texted him before. Like, I copy-pasted <laughs> that shit. I was like... Oh, hilarious. Bro. Yo, those enjoy the city shits. Yo. <laughs> Yo, I, I... Well, I, I've actually never... I've never just sprung up on somebody in their city and just like, yo, I'm about to pull up. Like, you need you need clearance before you even go into their time zone, man. Like, you just you just can't be rolling up on folks like that, man. It's just not safe. I'm really glad you hit him with the enjoy the city. I'm really glad you did that. I believe I didn't even say enjoy the city. I believe I said neat. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> dudes be shooting their shots in the most egregious ways, man. No, no couth. Well, my favorite thing is like, he's a comedian, right? Like, that's what he claims he's doing. He funny. I know that. He Which funny. like, I don't know. Far be it for me to tell you how to do your job. But like, I don't know. Have you ever considered like reading the room might be like directly helpful to your line of work? Yo, he funny. <laughs> I'm laughing my ass off. <laughs> There's Bro. this great fucking song, and it's based off of these two fucking horrible Disney characters that I love that are, like, a big deal in Japan, and I'm trash. Uh, but the idea is that in Japan, they have a perfect love, which means they'll never, like, fuck. Ooh. And so this this character... Or this this creator on a podcast kind of playing this character made a love song that would happen between the two of them. And the guy is like, don't worry, girl. Like, it's fine. I don't want to fuck you. And the girl is like, read the room, motherfucker. Like, (laughs) there's a a great line where she's like, we've been sitting here with this stupid meal for two plus years. Read the room, you fucking asshole. We are the sex bombs. I've never seen that movie. Oh shit. I read the book. All seven of them. Um the well, this movie's great. But Is Scott still a pedophile? Oh yeah, that's what I was there's a lot of butts. So yeah, in the movie he's he's dating a high school girl. He's like twenty two or twenty three. She's seventeen. Like, oh, uh, that's way better than it was in the movie. Or in the book, rather. 
Um, I think she's 15 in the book. Oh, barf. So, yeah. But they, obviously, they... Actually, I don't want to say obvious because I don't want to take it for granted, but they talk about it in the movie or whatever. Um, every and everyone gives them shit in the movie about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and also this kind of... There is a bit of... Uh, what you call it, uh, manic pixie dream girl thing? Oh, I know. Yeah, there's, there's a reason I haven't watched that movie. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a bit of it because it's like the beginning. So basically, these he like has this thing for her, and he is very uncomfortable about her agency. And even even when she changes her hair color, he like has a like a, a connection of wow I didn't know this person like what am I doing like my whole world is is wrong because she dared to do something on her own without telling right. me about it so Scott Pilgrim definitely has like a lot of uh, it, it if you're not I would, I would say a flat out if you're not smart enough to deduct what the wrong things are you may miss it and for a lot of guys they probably aren't smart enough to see, like, wow, he had a shit because she changed her hair color and not for the fact that he was dating a 17-year-old when he should have been in college. Right. There's a reason I have a Not Your Manic Pixie Dream Girl t-shirt, and her name is Ramona Flowers. Um. <laughs> this next scene that I have saved in my computer as titty jobs and Twitter algorithms. <laughs> the first part is, even though... The title is a bit uh, tongue-in-cheek. The first part of this deleted scene is actually kind of a serious thing. I did want to include it because it does kind of involve me sort of wrestling with sort of ideas that kind of clash with each other. People's right to choose versus what it kind of all means. And the second part is pretty self-explanatory with the twig out of the room thing. Uh, check it out. Well, speaking of urgent care and things that won't make it, Apparently, people are still getting blowjobs. Uh, wow, blowjobs. <laughs> people are still getting titty jobs. That's what I meant to say. People are still getting boob jobs in the Rona era. Uh, I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm, well, this is Texas, so when I got here, like, I just saw boob augmentation advertisements on the side of the highway so you gotta do what you gotta do right whatever it takes to feel to feel confident basically it's it's so funny like well let me pick your brain because i don't i'm not someone who like um I don't, I will one, I, I don't, I'm not someone who wants to regulate women's bodies. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I just, I just feel like people that get like kind of augmentations are, I don't know, I feel like succumbing to societal pressures in some way. And I know that like people, you know, with, with people, especially women do with their bodies, their choice, but a kind of part of me just sort of feels like, if society were a better place, would people still want to want to change their bodies in that way? I mean, I think it's always going to depend on the person, right? I think people are always going to find things to pick apart about themselves, and if they genuinely feel after surgery that that part of them has 
has been fixed. That's not, you know, that's not anybody's kind of business to, to say yes or no to. Yeah. Like um, there, you know, there was definitely a time that I was flirting with the idea. Um, but at the same time, like for me, like my, my body and my proportions changed so often saying that I'm doing it to make myself more proportional. That might not be true next year. Yeah. You know, so for me, it just, that's not something I would invest in right now. Yeah. At the same time, like I have a friend who uh, just got a gender affirming uh, breast augmentation. Yeah. And she is so happy. Uh, You know, and, and in my mind, you know, if, if it makes one person that happy, then it's worth continuing to do. Yeah. I've dated I've dated like multiple women who've wanted like augmentation and I've actually dated women who who have kind of had it quasi basically. Well not actually not quasi, like they've they've like augmented themselves and it was I don't know, like I I just feel like on just some some just some very base level, I just feel I just feel bad for people that just kind of want to change their bodies in that way. And I know, like I said before, like, I know there's like, you know, like cognitive dissonance where it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing and you, you do hundred percent believe in it, but it's just something else is trying to go on like completely against it. Like I'm like hundred percent for women and for men because men get that shit too. Like I'm, I'm with them doing it and spending the money how they want to spend it. But I don't know, I just I just kind of feel bad that we we just kind of do I don't know very very strange I don't know strange feelings about it but it's I don't know it's a bit um it's a bit perplexing to say the very least yeah I mean the other thing at the end of the day right is like I don't it I I feel to that similarly the way that I do to tattoos. Where, like, I have a couple tattoos. I would like to get more someday. Uh, my parents do not understand tattoos, and they think they're horrible. Uh, at the same time, like, it's my pelt, you know? Yeah. I can change it however I want. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's kind of how I feel about, about any cosmetics surgery. You know, because, like, someone who forks their tongue, that's certainly not medically necessary. <laughs> yeah. You know? But if it makes them feel better about them or closer to who they are, then I'm not going to tell them no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even if it is weird and makes me slightly uncomfortable, I'm not going to tell them no. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we're just in the era where people do what they want and everybody else just kind of minds their business. I mean that's the hope right i feel like that's always been the hope is that you know you do you i do me you know if we if we both like what the other one is doing we can kind of high five otherwise we don't feel a strong need to like voice our disapproval yeah you know if it's a health or safety thing like hey you've had 57 facelifts in the last year and a half like that's <laughs> a little different but you know yeah because there's people that are like addicted to it like mm-hmm. And those are the people I 
I definitely feel bad for. It's like, oh man, one of my favorite musicians growing up. Um, she she succumbed to the, that pressure of beauty standards, beauty standards and rap. You know, just mm-hmm. societal pressures to make herself just look appealing when, like, she was a like she was a very very beautiful young woman when she first came into the scene but then over time it kind of snowballed to where even beyond just kind of aging if you look at her picture now versus when she was just like a young person in rap like it's it's so different that i've always felt immensely bad that there wasn't more people in her life to tell her that she didn't need that to 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 get into herself yeah I also just feel that, like, at the end of the day, right, if I were to ever be be that, you know, like, be famous for, for whatever, right, yeah. I would probably do my best, and, like, I hate to say this because, like, it's going to sound so bad, but, like, I do my best to follow the Lady Gaga model of actually just following my instincts. Yeah. You know, and, like, that wasn't true just her model it was also you know freddie mercury queen whatever right like kind of before everything became an algorithm yeah um you know because i i think the the more we succumb to that algorithm the worse everything is gonna get yeah yeah um the Instagram algorithm is going to rule the world one day if it's not, not doing it already. I have been tagged by so many people in that black and white photo challenge <laughs> for empowered women. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I posted a black and white photo like three weeks ago and I'm not posting another one because that's it. That's the only one I have that I haven't shared. Like, bro, these. If anything, I'm tempted to post something like hyper colorful. Like, hilarious it's so- i want big color big shapes big hair because why why should i mute my sparkle to be empowered like i shouldn't have to yeah i i didn't even i have not even stopped to think about what the black and white has to do with empowering but i saw i saw one of our mutual friends posted and i think they did tag you <laughs> but i was like well Hey, it's the it's the latest chain. It's the late it's the latest digital chain mail. Like when most like ninety nine percent of the time, if I get tagged and stuff like that, like I I really don't um I don't really forward it. Honestly, I I see it and I I kind of let it die in the vine, man. Like every now and then, if I'm like in a decent mood, I may do it. Like I did one for like shoes, like like. I think the yeah. first the first month of quarantine, and that was because I was just bored as fuck because it was quarantine. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm nah, I, uh, I don't, I, I, I don't. The black and white makes my Instagram feed look like an obituary page. God damn. <laughs> and like, I know so many beautiful, empowered, bright colored women. Do you know the reason for the black and white? I don't. Maybe it's just just to stand out because Instagram is 
full of color. That's all I got, though. I mean, yeah. But, like, sorry. Not sorry. Not doing that. Uh, like, I, no. You know, when you said the whole obit- obituary thing? <laughs> Is that an obituary? Did she die? I mean, hold on. Shit. It looks like she might have. Yeah. That that top one, like the first one you showed me, to me, I was yeah, just that like, was a, uh, that top one was definitely rest in peace esque. Kara twenty seven died suddenly of unknown causes. Uh, she's survived by her Shih Tzu marbles. Like, wow, this girl had this mega crush on in ninth grade. Like, she didn't. She's she's married in Prego, but she has like. She's like wildly. So. Oh, uh, you dodged a bullet on that one. I mean, I almost posted. I almost posted my Twitter photo. Then again, then I almost posted this nice uh, picture of me dressed as the mom from the Adams family. <laughs> uh, then I almost did like that one. Like they're all up already. I don't have anything new. I mean, you can do the random selfie. I mean, I did that. That's my second to last one. Like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not screwing up my grid for your tag. But I love you, you beautiful empowered women, and thank you for thinking that I'm empowered too. But like, (laughs) rest in peace, cat's feminism died because she wasn't into this tag. Hilarious. Your fem- see the the Instagram algorithm is going to be killing feminist status. Yeah, I'm my my little pink check mark is, is going to be revoked. You know, like two days is going to be dudes like brown and brown and white to show ah, sepia tone. <laughs> the copper filters. Yeah. The show we support all women. Like, oh my God. I, like, I don't need an Instagram post in that kind of way to show that I'm a feminist. But, I haven't even posted my new haircut yet. I mean, I, hold on. I, I posted you a sure? story. That doesn't count. Okay. Cause I was going to say, I saw it, but then you say you didn't post it. it was, I, posted my, I posted a story. That's not the same. Mm. It's like last week when you said, uh, my, they, my favorite Talking head song played. Oh, we're bringing this back. Bro, I was so shook. I was like, did I just really not hear Cat? That shit was crazy. I was like, what? Oh, now I feel bad about talking shit. Um, On who? The black and white photos. Um, oh, shit. After trying to find the reason for it, I mostly came across articles talking about violence against women in Turkey and how so many women are murdered that it's more normal to wake up and see a black and white photo of a murdered woman. Oh, how do other people know this? Because I'm this is what I'm saying, man. Because like you know how if it's like the chain mail thing where they'll copy and paste like the reason below. 
I I legit floated through like six of them. This is a model who I really like, uh, and she does a lot of her own research. She's also a very talented makeup artist. And I think this is her, uh, her posting her own research, which is cool, but like would love to have uh, like an actual, I, w- I would have liked to have known that up front. Yeah, no one's no, no one's posting the science behind this. Like, I flipped through. I swear, I'm not bullshit. I flipped through at least eight of these already, and I just see beautiful women in black and white. Like, I don't like. Actually, Mil- Millicent is the only person who put anything near the actual description. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not seeing anyone else. I just see like hashtag challenge accepted but I don't know I don't know man just stop just stop the chain the digital chain mail just or at least it. explain the digital chain a little better please yeah. I'd like to know what I'm signing up for yeah yeah man uh, speaking of knowing what you're signing up for uh, girl interrupted did I do it Bro, I, I could have gone for Ford versus Ferrari too, but like the next three deleted scenes are pretty quick hitters. We talk about how Dustin Hoffman is old as fucking a graduate, how Blue Lives Matter has co-opted the Punisher, and the Italian and Connecticut Chinetti's Child Bella Bellissimo. <laughs> I may leave this part in deleted scenes, but or maybe fuck, maybe I won't. So you really had a problem with Dustin Hoffman being 30? Because I legit couldn't see it. I didn't see I, it at all. Yeah, no, straight up. I thought that like he looked like a grown-ass man. And like <laughs> every time he was like on that college campus, I was like, get out of there, you pervert. In, that boarding, in that boarding house, I was like, oh. And like, <laughs> he just looked like so tired. And so <laughs> like holy shit when you were talking about like showing mad love 10 years ago versus showing mad love now i almost was gonna be like well then what exactly was dustin hoffman's excuse because dustin hoffman is closer to showing mad love now than he was 10 years ago like it's really even in the way that like when he makes expressions like there are really deep lines on his face like he looks old Damn, I didn't see it, man. Damn. Um, and like that's not a dig because he's doing the best he can, pretending to be twenty, turning twenty-one. <laughs> but like, as someone who was described as a twelve-year-old who looks really, really tired a few weeks ago, uh, <laughs> I did not see it <laughs> at all. And like, uh, it was especially obvious to me in scenes with like some adults and some younger kids because they looked he looked closer in age to the olders than the youngers at least in my opinion i was trying to figure out meryl's age and just i was just trying to guess what her age was in postcards because i knew she was at least mid-30s in this movie she yeah. she was she was 41 
Yeah. Which makes sense. She was holding up really well. But now, man, age is a funny ass thing, man. Maybe it was maybe this close. He he was not just like no twenty one year old. Actually, you know what it was when he did the shower scene at the end. All the motherfuckers look way younger than me. You're absolutely right. It yeah, just, when he's on just the college campus, it's really obvious. No, I think it's I think it's more obvious in the shower scene because in the college campus, he's not really like near anyone. Well, but, there's uh, one one like weird zoom out shot where you see him on the like fountain on the quad. Yeah. Yeah. And then all the girls sitting next to him, I'm like, oh, those are children. Those are children. Those are That's children so sitting next to a grown ass man. God damn, this motherfucker was old as old as dirt. Jesus. So like I I just feel like maybe get some older, more tired, dried out looking college co eds if you insist on using a thirty year old <laughs> man for your movie. <laughs> dried out co eds. That's a terrible porno name. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's probably gonna make deleted scenes. <laughs> but, yeah, he's actually a really good actor. I had to eject from. I never watched Punisher because I know what Punisher represents. Can't get down like that. But he is. Uh, so except good that's not what he represents that's what he's been well, made to represent yeah you said it better yeah but yeah no that's that's reasonable well hold on punisher he's a vigilante Kills corrupt cops he he was a cop his family's murder investigation was bungled because they did not feel comfortable arresting mob members and so at that point uh John, John, well, Frank Castle, played by John Berthal, becomes this kind of symbol for people who claim to stand for justice but are not, in fact, in favor of real justice. Was that in the in the Netflix series or the comic? Yup. It was in both. Because I. That's why. That's why. By the way, he's kind of framed as the opposite of Daredevil because Daredevil is is very like hope and justice and good and stopping the big bad guy and like the punisher is like okay but if we kill the bad guy there will be no problems because the bad guy will be dead as well as the people who weren't willing to act and stop him like what if we killed everyone so that's the thing though i think from my perspective someone who never read the comics i've only seen the punisher be co-opted by just white men who just want to kill people who they deem are people that are bad. And that is the least Punisher thing ever. Okay. Like, straight up. The the Punisher is, like, known as a cop killer. Like... So why, are, so why do people boo lives matter to the Punisher logo? Because they just want an excuse to murder people and clearly they don't read with any nuance or depth. And also, like, it is a nice-looking skull. It's a nice look. That's that's what every cop says to a black person. That's a nice looking skull, sir. Can I see it? But anyway, can I see it up close? But anyway, Ford versus Ferrari. H a p p y. I'm h a p p y. I think I am. I know I am. I'm h a p p y. Oh. Oh God. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Oh man. 
So yeah, I'm I actually I have on the background I just got to um uh oh the scene you said where he, he showed the the son drew the map and now they're like in Lamar and this is the mm-hmm. morning before and they're like on the track or whatever. Yeah, so uh Luigi Cinetti won Le Mans three times. Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah. Luigi. Uh, and then he came in second once. Uh, and there's a lot of did not finishes. I mean, this race looks dangerous as fuck, so I'm not surprised. Uh, and then one time he was disqualified, but I can't find why. Holy shit, that's funny. Uh, I also believe, and I am struggling to find it. Uh, he, uh, let's see, he started building Ferraris for uh, American Racing, but he also was the the coach for several driving teams, Italy uh, Ferrari driving teams. Uh, and, uh, he was also the, like, Enzo directly appointed him as the Ferrari factory agent in the United States. Holy shit. Yep. Um, and, yeah, um, I believe that he, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, he, uh was the manager of the Ferrari Formula One team for a while. Yeah, so you said this is your great-grandfather? Great-grand-uncle, I think. Oh. I'm not sure exactly how we're related because we don't talk to that side of the family anymore because they think we're blue-collar trash. <laughs> God damn. If, they, if, if the, the, the Connecticut Chinettis would like to reconnect at any time, though. Uh, the Connecticut. That's not like a wrestling tag team, the Connecticut Chinettis. Uh, hi, uh, I, I hold you no ill will, and I don't want any of your money or cars. Uh, I well, would love to hang out, though. We don't want your money. We can borrow the cars, so though. We'll give them back eventually. Maybe not. This next deleted scene... Uh, we talk about Ryan Murphy. I was actually under the impression that Cat would be more excited to talk about him. Um, for some reason, I, I kind of had the suspicion that she would be a big fan, but that was definitely turned on its head pretty quickly. <laughs> Enjoy. Yeah, that's what I did Saturday. Sunday, I just watched a couple movies. Did you pod. watch any? I was going to say, did you watch anything outside of the pod? I had my Muppet screening on Friday. <laughs> How did I go? Really well. You have to understand that I don't really like sit and watch movies like a lot. I know that probably sounds really like bad, but like oh, no. I prefer to watch them as like a social activity. I don't just often like have them on in the background. No, I actually, my movie watching is actually relegated to just the weekends now. Like, like every now and then, like um, not well. Obviously, not on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I'm I'm busy editing. Um, Thursdays is like a it's like a real actual like relaxed day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been watching this. <laughs> 
I've been watching this teen drama from the first season. It started like the end of 99 and it it was only two seasons long. It's, it was a TV show called Popular. Um, Ryan, Ryan, who's the guy that does, um, that did Glee and like, um, Ryan Murphy. American, yeah, American Horror Story. Yeah. So he, he, Ryan Murphy acts this, I think maybe this is the first t- television show he ever, uh, produced and wrote on. And it's so funny, like, in a great way that in like 99, like, he was doing episodes about, like gender identity and sexuality and teenagers and actually just not even just specifically that but it's like kind of like a lot of like weighty teen issues there was an episode i'm on season one and there's an episode about a teacher that transitioned Mm -hmm. (laughs) like like in the year 2000 like it is so funny saying the year 2000 and it being 20 years ago but like to have like a serious conversation about trans people like it was i i don't i don't necessarily remember watching that episode when it came out like in 2000 but seeing that episode now and it's really like wow i i kind of know why this show wasn't very popular like Mm -hmm. (laughs) like like this is it was funny like it was a show that I don't remember any of our friends talking about um, the two stars of the show are, are both girls. So I think the advertisers maybe thought it was like a, a show specifically for girls, mm-hmm. but they do like a lot of stuff with like, with like guys too. And like, like um, really it's like all basically identity play and like how, you know, when you're like 16, 17 years old, like you really sort of form your identity and it's like clashing against like society and gender norms and pressure from like parents and friends and shit like that. Like I thought it was like in it's mega it's like mega not mega camp, but there's like definitely a couple episodes of like super camp. And so Ryan Murphy excels at occasional episodes of Super Camp. <laughs> yes. Like it's there's a lot of that. And so I can see how a show in two thousand it would not kind of survive that, even though I think like the show was actually pretty well made and like pretty well acted for the most part. It's very possible. It was just kind of ahead of its time. And like Uh Ryan Murphy, quirky TV filmmaker, like it's a TV show, but I would say that he, he does his bodies of work are always at least initially basically just eight hour films or 16 hour films. Like the first season of Glee is very clearly a self-contained miniseries that he then was told he had to make 18 more seasons of. <laughs> um, you know, like, same with, same with American Horror Story. Like, I think that's why each season is kind of different. Yeah. Um, he just makes real long, episodic films. Uh, and I don't think that that, as a brand, was as exciting in, in the 2000s. Fuck no, it was not. Like this is this is still the era where you can make episodes of television that illegit from episode to episode. It's not much like linear storytelling. Like you just have like you have people Buffy, make just do Buffy things. has a lot of arcs, but at the same time, Buffy has a lot of episodes that are nothing episodes. Yeah. You know, 
and like that was like the model at the time yeah not the mini series model which is like whatever like it's it's a thing we have now and i'm glad that we have it but yeah like it, it is really it was really wild i like just the last or the second last episode i watched was the teacher transitioning episode and it was like it's so wild that like we're legit now having like well i don't want to say speak for the entire country because a lot of people aren't but i think it is kind of wild that 20 years ago ryan murphy was like trying to start that conversation at least in a television sort of way and then all like literally decades later like it's it's like coming back around so shout out to ryan murphy i yeah sure (laughs) shout out to him i guess do you were you ever into i was never into glee i never watched Glee. i watched the first two seasons of glee like it was my job because they came out exactly when i was like that shit was catnip for me (laughs) i was 13 and 14 when the first two seasons of glee came out okay why'd you get off it though because it started sucking (laughs) when it got bad (laughs) when it got bad enough that 14 year old me was like even the characters i like can't keep me here anymore damn i wonder well do you remember like why it started to suck (sighs) okay so there's a couple things but once they won the national tournament as a glee club Okay. What are our stakes? Touche. Point 1A. Once most of our supporting cast, or our main and supporting cast, has graduated, and we are now following in the footsteps of their life as, like, adults, but their adult lives are horrible and terribly unrealistic, <laughs> why do we stay? And uh, in, in a stunning conclusion, uh, if you write... Uh, characters poorly and suddenly change all of their motivations and suddenly the music isn't even interesting anymore why do you stay wasn't the show i know you said 18 like jokingly but wasn't it on for at least like like I think seven it had eight six, years six or seven seasons yeah like uh for me i just remember i tuned back in for the episode after cory monteith died and I felt bad that he died, but I didn't care. <laughs> like, Santana, who is played by Naya Rivera, uh, may she rest in peace, uh, saying, when I die young, and that made no sense for her character to do. Yeah. And, like, it just got to the point where, like, the girl who he had been dating for most of the first season, like wasn't even in the episode because Diana Agron was busy with other projects. And like, it just felt so like the people who are here, who've been here from the beginning are here because they're making money. And the team new cast is here because they're hoping they'll be able to make as much money as team old cast and then get off the show and like go live their actual Broadway dreams. And it just isn't working anymore. Yeah. 
it's it's funny. So I'm guessing like the original cast, like season three, like they were gone and then this. Well, they were still and, on, but oh, like adults as adults. Now. Okay, because yeah. So for popular, it starts when they're sophomores, and so yeah. like I guess it's like at least two to three seasons that you can kind of work with, but yeah, like. Even when I Dawson's... think they kind of stretched it to three because they were like, uh, 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 we're not ready to, to let them go yet because we didn't expect them to get so individually popular. Uh, <laughs> and then they, they had to grow up. And I remember I watched the third season sporadically, and I think I caught one episode of season four. Oh, damn. But by, yeah. the, but by the end of season to like i was like okay they won nationals uh the gay couple i like is solid there are no straight couples i like so whatever um <laughs> the dad has accepted the son as gay uh Shout out to him, i don't I, guess. I don't know that there's anything else that i need to do here <laughs> like all the plot <laughs> points i was really invested in are over now and it also stopped feeling like real high school problems but over dramatized and yeah. started feeling like fake high school problems over dramatized when you said my work here is done have, have you ever seen that that sailor moon sailor moon meme <laughs> the guy's like my work here is done yes. and she's like you did nothing <laughs> yeah yep well uh, the other thing is like did you ever watch Scream Queens, the, no. the college TV show that Ryan Murphy did? It's very good. And if the college, like, that was the, the really sharp, nasty wit that Glee used to have about high school. Okay. And then they just turned it into a college show with Jamie Lee Curtis, which is very <laughs> good. Uh, if you get a chance, I recommend watching it. I think it's on Hulu. Uh, okay. In which uh, Jamie Lee Curtis plays the dean of students for a college, and she's got a uh, you know the Jamie Lee Curtis haircut, uh, and her okay. name is Dean Munch. Whoa! All right, double entendre. The jokes—they write themselves. <laughs> they certainly do. Yes. For the next three deleted scenes, they're fairly quick hitters also. Uh, the first one we talk about, a little bit about Ferris Beetle Day Off a bit more, and we have some gene takes. The gene takes probably should have made the episode, but I kind of wanted to keep the pace and flow of that episode going. Kat was on a roll, and I did not want to limit her. Cat <laughs> uh, has been burning it up lately. Proud of her. Love you. <laughs> then we pivot to the 80s sex god, James Spader, who we love and appreciate very much on the We Should Do This Again Sometime podcast. And the last of the scene, we have cat movie recommendations. Hey, uh, this is three movies with questionable parents, man. John, I mean, who, he's working what, on all these paranoias he has, man, through these characters. What, what teenager thinks their parents are great? I mean, like best best case scenario, when you're a teenager, you think your parents are all right, I guess. Yeah, but like they don't understand. But like they're fine. 
tolerable at best. Yes. Right. So I think Paris, uh, no, Ferris's parents. Yeah, they're tolerable. They're yeah. kind of, they're kind of mooks. They're kind of, you know. I think their their biggest sin is that they really want to see the best in their kids. Well, Ferris, they want to see the best in Ferris. Yeah. Well, they kind of wind up like. I, I appreciate that Jean kind of realizes, like, oh, I, I'm not trying to impress them anymore. Hey, Charlie Sheen. Like, whatever. Like, I, I like that revelation for her. Yeah. I do have a question, though. Yeah. And this question haunts me. <laughs> yes, Charlie Sheen was arrested for cocaine. Uh, no, that, that wasn't the question. Um, oh. oh, okay. Jean is the older sister, right? I think she's actually the youngest. She's. I think she's younger than Ferris, because Ferris is a senior. She's not. I don't a understand. I guess in the way that it was framed in my mind, she has always been the older sister, and that is impossible as Ferris is about to graduate. Yeah. But I don't understand. She can't be much younger than him if she is street legal to drive. Uh. Well, sixteen. Uh, if Ferris is 18, she can be 16 or 17, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. And she also just looks a lot older than him. Maybe. So it, like, kind of... I Watching it this time, I was very aware... Oh, my God, I love your phone case. Oh, this is just a sticker. This is a the, very good sticker. Yeah, the case is see-through. I put a sticker. Like, the Mario shit is, like, one big-ass sticker. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, watching it this time, I was kind of aware that that was unclear and thusly confusing and kind of messy. Why do you think it was messy? Oh, hold on. So you, so you, so you agree that she's the younger sister, but why do you think it's messy? I don't agree that she's the younger sister because I have n- oh. only narrative implication. Yeah, I needed. You... I needed one line. That's like age? yeah, yeah. Or just like my if he called when he called Rooney on the phone, can you send my homework home with my younger sister Jean? Like because everything about the way she presents herself, everything about who she thinks she is, everything about the way that the family treats her implies that she is the older sister and she's making a bad impression on Ferris who's sick. Maybe it kind of goes back to that thing where the women have to be the caretakers of the delicate men. <laughs> yeah and she's not like she's not given the, the whole nag thing you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier it it applies to this movie for for uh Jean. yeah yeah and it makes her seem like the older sister and it's weird that she cares that much so like that's the only like honest to god complaint i also want to know how they got the license for the star wars music well this is well and how they kept it. Star Wars was... It was Star Wars, but it wasn't, like, now Star Wars. Like... I mean, yes, but the, the ongoing, uh, like, licensing rights... I'm pretty but, sure John Hughes has some kind of relationship with um, Lucas. Hmm. In case all, you're wondering yeah. what my ideal, like, hair looks like, for like androgyny goals 
It's Ooh, John Cryer on the cover of Pretty in Pink. Look at the spade god. <laughs> look at that. Beautiful coat. I think it's the eyes. Look look how he's look at the eyes. <laughs> like it's impossible to you see this and the panties just fly off. Like they just, I'm still not like, that into blondes, but like I look, see it. Look at that. There's some Stare. weird lens flare like in the middle of his face, which is I very know. off-putting. That that that's him. <laughs> that is his beam. He beams that into your soul and nether regions. Mostly my soul. Um Yeah, no, like and I also like I don't want to get into it because I'm gonna get upset. But like I have a lot of issues with Say Anything as well, which I know he wrote. He didn't direct it, but, like. You don't like Say Anything? Hold on. Am I thinking after, after the main character, who is a girl's father, threatens to physically abuse her for dating this man, he shows up at her house in the middle of the night blasting the song he took her virginity to. He has no regard for the fact that he is putting her in very real physical danger. Oh, did her father we, beat her up in that movie? He, she, he threatened to if she saw him again. I don't remember that. I need to rewatch that. I didn't catch that. I don't even remember if he says, like, I'm going to beat the shit out of you, but it's kind of implied by the hand raising and the body language. You sure? Damn. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just kind of upset that I missed that part. I guess I'll, I'll watch it again and see if I catch that. Yeah, I don't remember that it's part. It's really worth it. Did I play it off of a Fisher Price boombox one time? Maybe. <laughs> anyway, uh, John Hughes understands 80s teenagerhood really well. I just wish 80s teenagerhood wasn't so heteronormative and full of bullshit. More like he understands white male teenagery. Yeah. Yeah. White male teenager who's just infatuated with titties. Hilarious. You know, y'all hold it close to that mic, right? I mean, I this is not close to the mic. This is like, hang on. This is not close to the mic. I know. Well, I'm aware that this is not a visual medium. Yes, this is not a visual medium. But, like, I can hope. I can hope people understand hearing this very distantly. When's the last time you watched anything? I don't know. Two or three years ago. Okay. It kind of made me angry, so I had to watch it in a couple parts. Was it that part that made you angry? I mean, there were just a lot of parts that made me angry, including when she said verbatim, I don't want to see you anymore. And he said, okay. And then he showed up that night blasting In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel, the song she lost her virginity to, specifically to guilt her into giving him more time and attention. Never even mind the threat of physical violence from her family. Men don't care about that. They don't. Yeah, no, obviously. Yeah, they do not. Which is terrifying. <laughs> yes, it very much so is. Yes. 
They reach out from the inside and fucking deed, bro. <laughs> so we recommend um, recommend Old Guard. Definitely not recommend. Well, I don't say don't recommend. She dies tomorrow. If you're in our house, shit, so I think you may have I, an appreciation for it. I watched She Dies Tomorrow, and then within five minutes of She Dies Tomorrow ending, I put on a different movie that I was actually going to suggest we talk about, but I feel like it's in a bit of a weird no man's land, so I didn't end up suggesting it. What movie? Live from the Space Stage, Halix. What the hell is that about? Live from the Space Stage is a documentary about a band that was initially like put together kind of to be entertainment at Disneyland. It's really hard to explain well, but it's a documentary about a rock band called Halix and what happened to them. Okay. Did and you like it? I loved it. First of all, it was made by a couple of people that I'm like... I don't like know them, but I'm friendly-ish with them. And this is one of the best made documentaries I think I've seen in a really long time. It's basically like an episode of Behind the Music, but, well, first of all, Behind the Music's kind of trashy, so it's not like that. But like <laughs> the, the kind of idea of what happened to them and like at one point they mentioned, yeah, we only existed really for like a summer. Okay. And like you think about like this weird kind of impact that they've had. It's yeah. very weird and very cool and very interesting and worth checking out it's available for free on youtube right now from the defunct land youtube channel it's directed and produced by matthew serrano so i watched that immediately after she dies tomorrow and uh, they're about the same length and i had a much better time with halix um <laughs> and uh yeah speaking of better times palm springs palm springs yes and for the final deleted scene, if anyone knows me, they know I love shoes. <laughs> me and Kat get into some big shoe talk. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to have an excuse to watch Coraline again. I fucking love that movie. Hilarious. There's actually a pair of Nikes that they made based on that movie that are worth like thousands of dollars. What? You, yeah. Um, if you Google Caroline... Nike Dunk. Whoa. <laughs> this sneaker they've got shit. The, is, they've got the cat and the mouse. Yeah, this sneaker shit is wild, girl. I and I mean this with all the love and care in the world. It never crossed my mind that Coraline people and sneaker people are the same people this this sneaker shit is wild it came in a wooden box with the yeah with the eyes yeah yeah wow i'm telling you um Uh, and they're worth uh let's see oh eighty four thousand dollars oh not that high but um pretty fucking high um Get out the box. Can I just get the box? That shit costs a couple of grand. That's gonna cost a couple of bands. Without the shoes? Hell yeah. Like, so this this sneaker shit is so weird, man. Like, oh yeah, because Google Ferris Bueller Nike Dunk. I was gonna talk about that last week, but those shits are worth like a couple of G's. Like and I tried. I wanted to get those, like when they first came out. 
Oh, they matched the coat. Yeah. The whole fit, yeah. This sneaker shit is too wild, man. Oh, yeah, I see. They've got the, the laces. You can get the leopard laces. Yeah, the tongue you know, is leopard, too. Oh, I see that. Yeah, it's hard to see because most of them are, like, profile. I have a couple. I had a pair of Monopoly. Like, they're a similar style to this, but they weren't Nikes. I think they were... I don't remember what they were. But I, like, recently looked them up, and they were, like, worth $6,000. And I was like, oh, I just, like, wore those to, like, middle school. <laughs> you, would, you would think people wear sneakers, but you remember when Nike put out the, the Air Mag for the Back to the Future? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the funny thing is, so, the, actually, you, you'll appreciate this. A woman actually designed them to be wearable. In the movie, they weren't, they were only, they were, it was mostly costume. Like, he couldn't, Michael J. Fox couldn't really wear them. But they actually, they brought in a woman to help actually make it testable and wearable. Yeah. And, well, they, they, they actually rushed her to put it out. Like, she wanted to do more testing on it, but they, they, like, had to get it out for whatever reason. But it's still, it's still wearable, but. She actually tried to make it like a daily shoe wear. Yeah. Um, and she, yep. she Reebok, left. Reebok X Hasbro Monopoly money sneakers. I mean, hey, you can copy worth that, like six k roughly. And I bought the Met Journeys on sale. You never believe where the woman who designed the the Nike mag where she works now fucking tesla i i hate it <laughs> this is a big ass pivot i stop working for him he's a venture capitalist uh i mean also though like i i exist in a space where like my sneakers such as it is are collectible heels really yeah cool um i have too many let me see i don't like collect collect there's a boutique that i really love and whenever i'm in the uk i that sounds so pretentious but like i've been to (laughs) london a couple of times whenever i've been there i've bought a pair and a couple of those pairs have gotten significantly more valuable as time's gone on um Shit happens. Uh, it does happen, yes. So, like, these are like limited edition heels okay. that I own. Nice. Those are my legs. Um, <laughs> yes, I can tell. <laughs> yes. I'm trying to find, like, I have a pair that are Alice in Wonderland themed that are like particularly, I don't even know how to describe them except to say, like, Unique, interesting, special. Uh, collectible, certainly. Oh, there's nothing wrong with special shoes. I have too many special shoes, man. Let's, like, get those to focus. Holy shit. <laughs> That's gnarly. I can see it, yeah. Those are, you have like, those? Yeah, I do. They're in my closet upstairs. So, they, the, the listener, well, I, I think this will make deleted scenes. Uh, Cat Hash Hills 
where it's Alice as the actual hill, Alice in Wonderland. Yep. Yes, I do. Um, eventually, I'd like to get. Uh, they have some where like you're standing on like stormtrooper helmets. Hilarious. Like, those are the heels. Uh, yeah. But those are very expensive and very sold out, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But I can dream. <laughs> Man, I have too many shoes. I gotta get. Well, I can't get rid of these, but one day. Maybe. I have too many shoes, and I love them all. So it, it's particularly challenging to get rid of any of them. Basically, and I still want to buy more. Like that's the problem. Hey guys, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Deleted Scenes. Everyone has been on this journey with us for these last 30 weeks. Thank you very much. I never would have thought we would have had this many consecutive weeks of releases. This has been a very, very great experience that I have. I love creating these episodes. I love talking to Kat. Again, big, big thanks to Eric Greenlee, who was the dick wolf of we should do this again sometime also a big thank you to our fearless leader kellen conley the leader of hyphen podcast group and shout out to everyone in the hyphen podcast group uh Melisette, eg obvious nonsense welcome those bright girls crystal everyone we've holding it down pretty well and i'm really glad of the material that we're all putting out to the public and we're going to keep it going. Shout out to you and I'm Enrique also. We're going to keep that going as well. Just a small announcement. We will be returning on September 21st. We're going to take a small break, but we'll be right back at it. Uh, I guess technically second season. I guess that's how podcasts work. <laughs> so the second season that we should do this again sometime. We'll be back September 21st. I hope you enjoy our little We Should Do This Again Sometime break. And I cannot wait uh, to come back in a couple of with our excellent, excellent late fall program. We already have September and October planned out. We're going to head out and close out the year on a pretty strong note. Much love to you all. Be safe. Be kind to each other. And uh, be excellent, dudes. And everyone be safe. Everyone love each other. Everyone wear a mask. Everyone tell your local municipals to defund the police. Peace. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained?